Welcome, Wildcats, to another episode of the Weber State Weekly Football Game Day Show. This is a playoff episode of the Weber State Weekly Football Game Day Show. I want to remind everyone we are the big, a member of the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Colby, for this one. On today's show, I've got returning champion, Tom. You had a good week last week, went four and two in your picks. I was not so fortunate. So, Tom Stackrock, welcome back to the show, man. Oh uh, yeah, I was pretty good last week. Yeah, kind of good. man, my shoulders kind of sore from patting myself on the back. It all stayed, <laughs> and, it, and it all started on Sunday night when the yeah. Toronto Argonauts brought the Great Cup back to the East. That's yes, where it all started, right there, man. So uh, is that, is that that the hometown team or just That's you know the cup? hometown man about nope. thirty minutes from my house? Nice. So the Toronto Argonauts, Grey Cup champions. If you don't know, the Grey Cup is the uh, the Super Bowl basically up in Canada in the CFL. And so Tom's hometown team bringing the cup back to the East. So good for you guys, man. But yeah, dude, yeah. four and two last week. The only two we got wrong, Portland State. I mean, we'll talk about that. But like that was a collapse. <laughs> what the freak happened there? And then of course, you know, most of us picked Montana, and uh, well. If you watch the game, you know what happened there. <laughs> yeah, man, I I was shocked. No, I was man. shocked. Man. That was rough. Yeah, if you're a Grizz fan, that was rough because uh, man, Montana State just took them to the woodshed. Well, let's talk about to. Oh, go ahead, man. I, Montana, I was sorry. I thought Montana was a better team than that, like as a, a, a complete team, and they just got shredded. Yeah, I mean, I, credit to that Montana that Montana State run offense, man. It's just hard to deal with. It is just so hard to deal with. So let's talk a little bit about today's show. Uh, of course, we're going to take a little a look at last weekend's game up in Flagstaff, the Red Rock rivalry. I call it the melee in the mountains. You call it what you want. Uh, I'll take a look, a little look at that game, how things shook out. The Wildcats ended up getting the dub on that last second field goal. So good times there. Uh, then we'll preview today's game against number 20, North Dakota, North Dakota, not an unfamiliar foe, to Wildcat fans, having just recently been in the Bigs, now has moved on to the Missouri Valley Football Conference and the Summit League. A uh, better fit for them geograph- geographically, of course. Uh, makes a lot of sense for them to be there, but um, familiar foe. And so we'll talk a little bit about North Dakota and what they're all about. And then um, instead of a flyer on the sky, um, we're going to just kind of take a trip around the bracket instead because now Big Sky play is over. And there are a number of Big Sky teams in the in the ranking. The, the, the Big Sky Conference ended up with five teams in the NCAA playoffs this year. So we'll just kind of go through the matchups and we'll do some picks based on those. All these first round matchups this weekend and kind of see how things shake out. And then uh, we'll do the same thing next week, uh, depending on if there is Wildcat football. So uh, before we get into all that, encourage everybody, please subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about Weber State Weekly. Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. Talk to us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And then we got a Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Weber State Weekly and become a supporter. Want to thank our patrons so very much for their support and helping us out. Uh, really appreciate them, all that they do to support us. We know it's, uh, it's just you support us out of the kindness of your hearts. So we want to acknowledge that and all the good folks that do it. So thank you so much. So Tom, let's talk a little bit about the Jacks. Um, Wildcats take the trip up to Flagstaff. Um, all-time record at, at the time. It was all knotted up 27-27 going into that matchup. And uh, the Wildcats come away with the win uh, up in Flagstaff. We always say weird things happen in Flagstaff, and this game was no different. Yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about 
going up there and playing. And I know we talked about, of course, uh, uh, before the game, but I mean, it's just an odd, tough place to play. And that's like one of the things I really, really liked about what we did well is the win. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course everybody likes the win, but man, when you start thinking about how hard it is to play up there, the travel, you know, the mental part of it that you're, you're coming off a situation where you've played three big games and then you're playing against a team that doesn't have a great record and all these things, you know, it's kind of setting itself up for a trap game, you know, where you you could lose that game, but man, our guys, you know, that's the thing I like the most about the game is we won, you know, and it it wasn't an easy win. Um, There was, uh, you know, situations where we had to battle and mental toughness and all those type of things. uh, But we found a way to win. And that's that's all that's going to show up. Right. It just it doesn't show up to score just that it's either a W or an L. And we got the W. And that's that's what I like most about the game, um, the way our guys fought through all the circumstances and, uh, you know, you know, some drop balls and um, coming from behind and all those type of things. I mean, I just think we did a good job of fighting through everything and, and coming out with the win. Yeah, fair points all, right? Um, winning was the most important thing here, not to fall into the trap game. Obviously, taking care of Idaho State the week prior um, the for senior day in Ogden, that's an easy thing. But then the final game of the year, up in Flagstaff, there's a lot of weird stuff going on. And so... You know, it definitely had the makings of a trap game. Weird stuff always happens. That was Jay Hill's first win in Flagstaff in his career, if you if you believe it. And mm-hmm. so um, nice thing. Wildcats ended up with the new uh, Red Rock rivalry trophy, which was nice. Good to see that. Uh, I don't know if you watched the FCS selection show, but President Brad Mortensen got a little FaceTime there. You know, he was up in the stands and they gave him the trophy so he could hold a little bit. And uh, that that shot, that little clip of President Mortensen holding the uh, the the new trophy between the two schools uh, that made the FCS selection show. So that was cool. Oh, nice. But yeah. Yeah. It was a good, a good way to get things started as we look now forward to the playoffs and into it. So things that I liked in this one, I really liked the way that the secondary played in the second half because we knew that RJ Martinez was it. We knew that that was the thing that they were their ace in the hole. That's what they had. They were going to go with it. And he had some really big explosive plays in that first half. They had a couple of guys go for more than a hundred yards. You know, Coleman Owen had a, had a really good game, 115 yards on nine catches. Hendricks Johnson had a really good game. He had 113 yards on nine catches with two touchdowns. Just did a good job in that first half of getting around guys and making them really work hard but the secondary really shut it down in the second half. They did a really good job. I think the third quarter, it was all three and outs by the NAU offense. And so they just, they really clamped down in that third quarter after giving up the the lead or allowing NAU to tie going in at halftime and then receiving the ball. So I really liked the way that they, um, that the secondary played to keep Martinez out of it, get him off his game a little bit and make him sweat because they didn't score again after that. Yeah. And, you know, and that's going to be, I think that's something that we've seen all season, you know, as far as being able to come back after half, maybe, you know, 
the coach is doing a great job of getting getting everybody coached up, maybe making a couple adjustments and, you know, coming up with a great second half. I mean, we just see that a lot from our coaching staff where they do a good job at halftime making adjustments uh, and then putting ourselves in a good situation. You know, and I always notice that when we're at home, you know, when the, when our players come off on the sideline, they all go to a certain spot every time. And you can see the coaches coaching them up. And this is in between series. You know, of course, when offense is on, defense comes off, they all go to their spots. They're all getting coached up. So, you know, as the game goes on, um, an important part of it is getting better as the game goes on because you're in, you know, everything's full speed now. It's not the scout team. You got to make adjustments and stuff. So, you know, a credit to the coaching staff on the field, a credit to the coaching staff that's up in the box, getting all the information to the guys and then a credit to the players for executing, you know, making those adjustments. No need to panic. We're a good football team. We don't have to start doing anything outside of what we're capable. Just do your job and everything will take care of itself. And I thought that kind of uh, showed up in, in the win and, you know, uh, us getting the win at the end of the day. Yeah. And I guess one thing I should point out is, you know, I said they didn't score again. That's not true. They did because there was that short field that the Wildcats gave them on a right. on, on that broken um, fake punt where the Wildcats had it. It was just the throw was just a little bad over through the linemen. And, you know, it just, they weren't able to convert. I mean, everything was there. It was just a matter of execution on that play. So you give them a really short field, 16 yard field. And yeah, they scored a touchdown on that. But aside from that, you know, there was no sustained drive really by the, the NAU, NAU lumberjacks that gave them a chance to put the ball in the end zone. You know, they kicked a field goal. That was it. So, right. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the reverse of that now, man. I mean, things that you didn't like from Saturday's matchup with the Jacks. You know, as we go into the playoffs and, you know, you're playing against better teams. And so your margin of error and everything's a lot tighter. The thing I didn't like is I didn't think we had to make it that hard. You know, you make a couple plays, you make a couple catches and, and that game is done way before, you know, the, the way before when it was actually done, you know, you really take care of business and take the wind out of that NAU. But I thought, you know, there's some things that we did to allow them to hang around, hang around. And, and then we had to fight back and respond. And I don't know when you start to play against better teams, sometimes that's not as easy to do. You can't let teams, when you have a chance, you know, when you're playing the top teams and you have a chance to take somebody out, you got to take it because you might not have that opportunity and momentum can switch on you. And all of a sudden the momentum's not going your way at the end of the game and the, the final horn blows and then you lost the game. You know, so that's that's one thing I didn't like is, I mean, you got to be spot on in the playoffs. You, you know, you can't give chances, you know, second opportunities to teams. You got a chance to make a play. You got to make the play, man. And then, like I said, playoff season comes better teams. Everything's a little bit tighter. Yeah. If I could say one thing that I didn't like was. um those first, you know, there was a three and out to start the game, but then the next two drives, Wildcats scored two touchdowns, bang, bang. Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay, great. Um, then they give up that big 45-yard pass to Hendricks Johnson, 
bummer. Okay, it's 14-7. There's still a chance. Abraham Williams immediately responds with the 100-yard kickoff, right? It was like, oh, wow. Incredible. That's his fourth of of his career, by the way, and the fourth this year. So then it's 21-7. And it's like, okay, we got this. The Wildcats did not score another touchdown for the rest of the game. So, right. And that and that that special teams touchdown came at 11 minutes and 10 seconds in uh, left in the second quarter. Right. So that's a problem against a defense like Northern Arizona, where we just couldn't seem to get connected through the air. Uh, there were some drops. There was just some miscommunication. Sometimes there were also some big catches, but just couldn't seem to put it all together in a complete drive that would turn that would not have left the Wildcats in a situation where they had to kick a game-winning field goal at the end, which is not necessarily bad. Montana State had to do the same exact thing. They had to, they had to rely on late-game heroics by Tommy Malott throwing an absolute dime of a pass down the field late in the game to set themselves up for a field goal in order to win the game as well. So it's not like, oh, they they just barely survived. Like, Well, so did we. So it's not... It's not, I'm not dogging, but I'm just saying like you, the point that you just made, Tom, that now in the playoffs, playing against better teams, you're going to need to take care of business early and not let teams hang around. Otherwise, they are going to believe that they can hang and it's going to give them an opportunity. Whereas if you go up 14, 21, it's going to be really difficult for them to try at the end of a long season to just get back in it and fight. Um, some teams will give up. Not everybody, of course, but give them an opportunity to face opposition. Give yourselves that chance because I think the Wildcat offense has shown flashes. I think the play calling is there. Just the execution just got to be a little bit better. And if it does, this is a team that could make a deep run. But right now, it's a tough road going forward. And we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, and it's kind of low because I was flipping back between our game and the Montana Montana State game, right? And Montana State, man, they had a chance to put the hammer down, and they put it down. I mean, they were yes, they did, you know. And I and I know it was a difference in te- intensity in that game, you know, with game day being there and the rivalry and, and all that stuff. So the intensity level was just amped up because of just the the nature of the game. But you know. Montana State had a chance to put the hammer down and they did not let off at all. And they kind of, you know, even when they played us, you know, they we presented them with a lot of opportunities and they took advantage of every opportunity and they needed to because they needed all those opportunities they took advantage of in the first part of the game because they needed every point because we almost came back and beat them. So, you know, again, that's something maybe that we got, you know, kind of, prepare ourselves as we move forward to the playoffs in the playoffs. Yeah. So Tom, um, MVP from this game, who'd you like, man? Who would you give the game ball to? You know what? And I, I know this, this, this is kind of in, in my experience, this is really kind of exciting for me because all your young players, most of the time your young and upcoming players are on special teams on those kickoff returns and punt cover and punt return and all those type of things. Right. So my, really my MVP is, is our return teams. You know, I thought they were, they were awesome. And, you know, of course everybody sees the guy with the ball on his hand and, and of course he's really, really explosive and he's really, really good, but you also got to get a hat on a hat and not only get a hat on a hat, but you got to expand and you got to be physical. 
on special teams because you're hitting a guy that's coming full down down the line or down the field full speed and you got to meet contact with contact and full speed and you got to expand and make holes for guys and uh, I think that whole special teams unit done really good and I really like uh, you know what Shank's done because he's really gotten better over the last three weeks yeah, you know, Skank has been really uh, as good. He's yeah. kind of taken over that role. I know he had that fumble at Montana State, but he's really bounced back. And I think, again, he's playing with more confidence. I think our, our special teams, especially our return team, teams are doing really well. And uh, like I said, that's, uh, you know, they call it special teams for a reason, right? It's all, all 11 guys working together. So credit to those guys. I thought they played really well. And that at that time, of the game, that kickoff return was huge, not only from a standpoint of points, but a standpoint of energy and enthusiasm for our, our for our team to get us going. Yeah, because at that point, I believe um, they had tied. They had come back and tied the game 14-14. Yeah. And so um, let's just check. Um, no, 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 it wasn't yet. That, that comes uh, after the first touchdown, just bam, bam. So it's 21 seven at that point. So it was sort of a nice thing to say like, Hey, there's still a two touchdown um, cushion there. Right. But you're right on the, on the returns, man. I mean, a total of 300 yards of returns between Hudson skank, uh, his punt returns and Abraham Williams kick returns, 300 yards of returns. Um, that's not nothing, man. Skank had 102 yards. Williams had 198 yards. So just right. great day. But for me, my MVP is Kyle Thompson. Because Kyle Thompson needed every, he needed to make every single one of those field goals in order to give the Wildcats a chance to win. And he did. He was a perfect four for four that day. Did not miss. And uh, like we said, even when the game winner was right there for him, he took care of business. And I know it's a dome and you could say, well, there are no conditions, but it is at elevation and weird things can happen. And you can miss, but he didn't. I mean, we saw Northern Arizona's kicker miss a field goal in the first quarter. 51-yarder missed. That was the difference in the game. And so my guy is Kyle Thompson because every time he was called upon in this game in the third quarter and in the fourth, he took care of business. He got it done. And uh, that's my guy. Yeah. No, he played well too. So now let's, uh, let's look forward then to this upcoming weekend's we move into selections Sunday. The Wildcats get there. And I think some folks were surprised. Uh, there was a lot of talk on social media, not just among Wildcat fans, but just fans of the FCS in general of certain schools about whether certain schools should be in or not. We know what we're talking about there. Uh, right. And where teams got seeded overall. One of those teams that I think thought they were going to get seeded and did not was Weber State University. They thought they were going to be one of the best eight teams in the country, having lost just two games by a total of eight points to the number two and four seed. So, you know, it felt like, yeah, they're, they're plus a, a, a commanding FBS win over a bowl-eligible Utah State, by the way, the only FCS team to beat a bowl-eligible FBS team. All the other FBS wins were just garbage, low-rent teams. Utah State was able to to pick up the pieces and get six wins and put together uh, a decent season and are now bowl eligible. Nobody else in the FCS did that. And the only thing, you know, the only touchdown they gave up was that return. It was a commanding win in Logan. The Wildcats ended up being the ninth team 
And so that meant they went unseated. Um, I think it raised some eyebrows. Folks were surprised. I think I was surprised. I thought they would at least get that eight seed and be uh, not be playing this weekend. But here we are talking about uh, this week's opponent. So, I mean, Tom, was that a surprise to you? Did you think that they would be one of the top eight teams in the in the country? Or was it just they're not enough room with Sanford, the SoCon champion, Holy Cross, um, Incarnate Word, blah, 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 blah. You know, the list yeah. goes on. And you, just, you, know, you just run out of bench. <laughs> and next thing you know, the Wildcats are number nine, just outside of those top eight. Yeah, I guess my thought was, and I and I don't know if this is coming from the, the the national media or the actual selection committee, but I hear when they talk about Montana, they're talking about Montana and saying, well, they got a home game because you know their quarterback was hurt, and if he wasn't hurt, they would have they would have done this, and they had such a tough schedule, and and that was kind of like the dialogue I heard out of that. But then I then I think about Weber State and, you know, we kind of gifted a game to Montana State with the amount of turnovers we had. Not and kind I of. Don't know. We did. Yeah, <laughs> we did. And straight up. And I don't know if that's if those conversations are actually in the room, in the selection committee, if they're looking and really research and studying what's going on, like you said about Utah State, are they evaluating the, the wins and all those type of those type of things or, you know, and the things that I read about Montana is, you know, they're going to sell out. They're going to bring X amount they of revenue into that game. So certainly are. I don't know. I, I guess when you ask me, am I surprised? It's hard for me to be surprised when I really don't understand the behind the doors ins and outs of the whole process, because I don't think it's just cut and dry as, as we talk about it, you know, quality of wins and how many wins. I think there's just a lot of other factors that go into it. I don't know how much travel goes in, how far they have to travel. Is that a factor? You know, how much revenue you can bring in, you know, and all those type of things. I just don't understand enough about it, you know, to, to really understand what goes on behind those doors in their process. But you know, somebody's, I guess somebody's got to be the ninth seed and it's Weber state. Right. So sure. it is what it is. It is what you it know, is. you play and, the teams in front you know, of you. Yeah. And so I guess the big question we have to ask ourselves is, you know, what is, what is our mindset going to be? Like, is it going to be a, woe is me? Oh, we got to play, you know, um, you know, the mental aspect of it and just <clears throat> over these last few, few games, of course, we we know that we had this big run where we we've, we've played. We had the three tough games, and then we had Idaho State and NAU. And I look at it this way: is Jay Hill is going to have our guys ready to play? Yeah, you know. And yep. he said many a times, and I've heard players talk about it. Doesn't matter if we're playing Montana State, you know, or Montana or SAC or Idaho State or whoever, our process getting prepared for games is the same for every team. And that's probably relates back. And, and there's probably, uh, that's probably the biggest reason is why we're so consistent and when we play. So from us being ready to play tonight, today or today at two, I know we're going to be ready to play. Uh, the only thing that's disappointing to me is the physical aspect, right? Is it would have been nice to have some time off that week, that week off to get some guys kind of healed up a little bit, 
you know, and you don't hear about all the injuries, but you know, guys are banged up on every, everybody's that's playing in the playoffs right now, guys are banged up and sore. Right. So there is, it's really nice to have that week off where you can kind of regroup a little bit, rest up and then get ready to go. But, uh, um, you know, that's kind of my thoughts on the seating part and where are we going to be mentally? And I'm, like I said, I'm not concerned about the mental part. I just wish we would have that week. So physically we could be a little bit better. Sure. Uh, joining us now, the signpost's own Emily Miller joining us. Uh, Emily, how you doing, man? Thanks for coming on and joining the conversation to talk a little bit about North Dakota today. I'm good. Thank me. We can. Um, okay. So talk about um, what you were saying there about the seating and all of that um, and the bidding, especially, because I guess the way that it works is this. The teams who want to host a first round playoff game, should they be in that position, they submit a bid to the NCAA before this, the selection committee sits down and makes their decisions. So those bids go in. That's what it is. There's, there's not necessarily a way of knowing how much anyone else bids more than the others. And so that's the all important. That's what decides who gets a home game in the first round. So the Wildcats obviously put in a bid and it was accepted by the NCAA. And so they're hosting this weekend because I did see some conversation online about how the Wildcats should be coming to North Dakota and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, knock it off. (laughs) Like, even if we hadn't bid more money than you, we're better than you. Like, and that sounds a little bit cocky, but our record is better than your record. Our wins are better than your wins. That's just what it is. But the additional piece there to consider when, when we talk about seeding is the Wildcats did have a D2 win against Western Oregon. And I think once again, that D2 win hurts them because losing the JMU game, having to scramble and find a D2 opponent to fill that weekend, only seven of your wins now count, right? And so, because uh, the Wildcats ended up, what, eight and, what was it? Uh, eight and two? Is that as? Yeah. Yeah, because you're taking one win away, right? Right. And so so now you're seven and two. And so the, the committee looks at that and goes, okay, well, this is this is where it's at. And so I think once again, just like in 2017, that hurts the Wildcats and being a seeded team. And so here we are once again, like in 2017, playing on the first weekend, which by the way, the Wildcats haven't done since 2017. Uh, they were a seeded team in 2018, 19, and obviously the Wildcats did not play last fall in 2021. So, I mean, Emily, a little bit about the mentality here of the team being unseated. Do you think that that creates kind of a chip on this team's shoulder? Because it feels like we've heard them talk about it all season, about how they didn't like the way things ended in the 2021 campaign. They were coming back. They were going to get things right, and they were going to put themselves back into contention for the playoffs. They've done that. They're a team who is now in the playoffs but they have to play on Thanksgiving weekend, which is not something they've done in quite a few years. Do you think that that helps or hurts them? Um, Honestly, um, I think the chip kind of of how we talk and they came in knowing they were going to have to prove people wrong. And I think Mm. from that, I mean, obviously nobody, wants to play the first week i think they're already in that mentality of proving people wrong and i i think had to do that all season has gotten them where they are now so i think that 
it's going to benefit them on Saturday. I don't think it's new. It might be a little deeper, but nothing new. And I think that's a fair take because that's the way I see it as well. That I think that it benefits them because it's one it's one more thing to add. It's more bulletin board material, and I think that this team thrives on that kind of stuff. Tom, overall, you think it helps or hurts them? Like you said, you've talked about the the physical aspect of you know wanting that extra week to kind of get guys healed up because the I think the running back core uh, is a little bit banged up. They a lot of guys were limping off of the field last weekend. Um, not necessarily the thing you want to see going into the playoffs, especially when you're a team like the Wildcats who do so much with the run game. But aside from that physical aspect, mentally, like you said, do you think the chip provides that bulletin board material, that thing that they need to get back to the second round and avenge a regular season loss the way that they did in 2017 and the way they did in 2019. No, you know, I don't, I don't think, I, I think what they are, the way they, that they operate up there, that coach Hill has them operate is that they have a, a, a system, a process that they do every week. And they believe that if they do these steps every day, that's laid out for them, whatever it is on Monday, we evaluate film. Um, this is what we do after we watch film, we evaluate. And then Tuesday we do a certain ritual for a practice and they have it all structured. They've done it all year. Um, I think what their belief is, is if we do this exactly the same way every time and we do it really, really well, we're going to have great results at the end. And I think that's where their focus is. I don't think they really listen to a lot of outside no noise. I think they're just so dialed in to what they're doing and they just worry about taking care of their own business. And I think that's, that's why they're so consistent, right? They just never, they just always play the same, you know, they just, they're, they're, they're just very consistent in how they play it over not just this season, but over whole, the whole career of Jay Hill, right? They're just very consistent, right? And so mm -hmm. I think that's that's where their mindset is. Just, hey, we just do what we do. We take care of our business from Monday to kickoff and then kickoff and the game will take care of itself. So I think that's their mindset. I think that's their process and that's what they do. Like Coach Mickey Mental tweets each week, trust the process. Um, so that, that's what they do. Um, I wanted to ask you, Emily Miller, kind of taking a little bit of stock of where the Wildcats are at now. The, the regular season is now over. We've seen the results of conference play and the out-of-conference schedule. Um, now the Wildcats finding themselves in the playoffs and trying to make another deep run the way that they have in recent memory. What do you think is going well for Weber State right now that they, they don't necessarily need to worry too much about in order to... Uh, in order to get that chance to, you know, just continue to play well at that level on that thing, whatever it is. Um, I don't know if I'm super confident in my answer because I feel like we've been really been able to fall back on our running backs. And we've previously mentioned they haven't been the healthiest this year. I mean, that bye week would have done us wonders, but um, yeah. if we have a healthy Damon Bankston, uh, Dante McMillan, Chris Jackson, Josh Davis. If we could have like three or two of those that for sure are healthy, I would feel really good about that. Cause that is what I think everybody feels good about. We've always had strong running backs. Um, and I kind of mentioned this, but, um, 
I like our ability to adjust. And I think that will carry us far into playoffs. Yeah. I mean, the second half adjustments, we've talked about that throughout the Jay Hill era at Weber State. Always good second half adjustments. We saw it last weekend against NAU, made the adjustments on RJ Martinez. And the only the only time he really scored and did damage is when we gave him a 16 yard field because of the 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 botched uh, throw on the the punt fake, which in terms of execution, like it was there. Just the throw is a little bit too much. Jack Burr just put a little too much on it. But Tom, what about you, man? What's a thing that you feel is going well for the Wildcats going into Saturday today's matchup against North Dakota? I really like our special teams play. I mean, I like yeah. the fact that we've gotten a lot better at it. I like the the explosion of it, you know, as far as kickoff returns and punt returns. I think that's a big uh, a big thing in the playoffs as far as field position. So I, I really, really like what we're doing in the special teams. And then, of course, you know, how well we, we uh, kicked the ball on Saturday against NAU when we were four for four for field goals. Yes. Yeah. So I really, I, I think if, if we look at all the units, I mean, I think special teams is the unit that's has gotten a lot better over the last three or four weeks, you know? Um, so especially when we lost Hadley, right. And then, and then Shanks come in there and he's, he's uh, uh, done a really good job for us. So I like where our special teams are at. Yeah, let's let's flip the script then now. JJ, I want to go back to you, man. Like, how are you feeling? What what do you think is the thing that has you maybe nervous as we go into the playoffs? The thing that hasn't maybe clicked as well that you think could potentially be a problem as we move into the playoffs and tougher competition, right? Because it just gets tougher as the weeks go on and you get closer to Frisco. Well, I think there's two things. Um, obviously. Coach Hill has a, a background in special teams and we've been really sound on special teams, but we've, we've had a little bit of unfortunate mishaps when it comes to our snapping yeah. uh, this year in Montana state, they came back to bite us. And uh, I think Sac state, we also had another issue there. So uh, the two games that we we lost, we had untimely safety. So I'm, I'm nervous every time it's time to punt the ball. Um, when we shouldn't be. So uh, we, we can't have any mistakes that way in, in the playoffs because those will just come back to bite us. And then the second uh, area that I'm a little, I guess, nervous going into the game to watch and see is if we can win one-on-one -on, -one on the outside and be consistent in making plays at the receiver position. I think our O-line and running backs and quarterback have played well enough for us to win every game this year. Um, our receivers are going to have to step up and make plays. And I think uh, the defense that we're going to see in North Dakota is a really aggressive style of defense. And, and they're going to basically give us some cover zero and man looks to where it's the receivers got to beat the DB quarterbacks got to put the ball in the right position and they got to make the catch. So um, we have the guys that are skilled enough to do that. We just haven't consistently made those plays in big moments this year. Yeah. I mean, that's totally fair, right? We've seen that a number of times. Um, we talked about that in those close games, even last weekend, there were opportunities there and some of those balls went the Wildcats way and some of them did not drop passes. Like you said, sometimes you just got to beat the DB, got to beat them on the outside because of the way that they like to play. Emily, what about you? Uh, a thing that has you nervous about this Wildcat squad as we move into the playoffs, if they want to make a deep run and return to the semifinals or beyond. Um, you know, it's kind of going back to what Jay Dreams said. I think anybody, if you're training for Weber State, is nervous about those 
about the long snapper and those safeties. I mean, the two games we've lost, there's been five. That's 10 points right there. Um, Plus the short also, fields again, to go with him. Yeah. And the other thing is, is we're dropping a lot of passes that don't look like they should be dropped. Or um, I think during the Sac State game when they were, it was either in the third or fourth quarter when it like popped out of, I think, Jacob Sharp's like elbow and into the Sac State. Oh yeah. This is like a freak interception. Yeah. Yeah. Just like securing the ball makes me nervous because even running back to, there's been a couple drop ones where it definitely feels like it could have been avoided. Mm. Tom, what about you, man? How are you feeling? Like what's the thing that you feel needs to be shored up in order for the Wildcats to make, uh, make some noise in the playoffs this year? Well, I think we're all saying the same thing about the receiving core. I mean, you got to, when you got a chance to make a play, you got to make a play. Right. Um, so I think we all agree with that. But the other thing I look at is, you know, I look at our D line I look at our secondary, um, you know, playing great. They've had a great season, but are they going to be capable of taking it up another notch? Um, because they are playing really, really well, but can we take it up to a playoff type notch, you know, where, where we're just playing lights out. Um, so I guess we got to get our receiving core playing, being more productive. And then those, all those, those groups that have played well for us all season, can they pick it up one more level, one more notch to be a championship national championship type team, you know? And I think, I think there's some guys on this team that, that are capable of taking it up one more notch to get us over the hump. So those are the things. So it's one is an improvement thing. And one is for the the receiver core to improve. But the other part of it is those guys that are all conference players, they got to play like all conference players for us in the playoffs. Right. And so I think those are some of the things that, that we need to have needs to happen as we move through the playoffs. So guys, let's turn our attention then to the fighting Hawks coming to Ogden for the first time since 2019. If you all remember that 2019 game, um, it was interesting. <laughs> Thought we were losing and we didn't. So a uh, shocker for the, for the fighting Hawks that day, they ended up losing to the Wildcats and then they left the conference, ended up going on to the Missouri Valley football conference, which like we said earlier was a better geographic fit for them. Makes sense. But now they return as a playoff contender. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about the, the thing that kind of runs their offense and that's junior quarterback, Tommy Schuster. Uh, his numbers have been pretty similar to Barron's actually. When I was looking at them, it's like, yeah, it's similar touchdown numbers, similar yardage numbers, uh, his, his efficiency number is a little higher, but um, he's he's he, and he's a little bit of a runner. He's not like Malat or Asher O'Hara. He's not like that level of runner, but he has scrambled a little bit. I uh, looked at some of the most recent games and, you know, he had some substantive yardage on the ground. You know, you could tell that he was scrambling, but um, how do you he feels like mostly a guy that likes to hang out and, and play that traditional quarterback role. And so, JJ, I was going to ask you, like, how do you think the Wildcats approach a quarterback like Tommy Schuster, who's seen a lot, but also you still have opportunities to make him uncomfortable and the stakes are high with this being a playoff game. It's not just a, ah, if I lose it's moving on to next week, there is no next week. If you win this game. Yeah, it's winter go home. Like you said, so you got to bring your a game. I think we match up really, really well. Uh, our defense versus North Dakota's offense uh, I think we, our defensive backfield is just loaded. We have so many guys that can match up with anyone in the country. Um, 
you never want to fear anyone and you want to respect everyone. Sorry. You want to respect everyone, not fear anyone. And, and at the same time, I think that we have a chance to really dominate them. Um, this quarterback I think is, is a guy, but he's, he's not anyone that's, uh, that can beat us by himself. If we go out and we lock down the receivers and we can contain them in the pocket, I, I think it could be a really long day for, for North Dakota. I, I went back and watched uh, their last few games uh, to prepare for this podcast. And there wasn't anything that really stood out that overly impressed me with them. They're solid, they're good, but they don't have over the top playmaking ability. And a lot of his yards came uh, in the form of yak throwing quick bubble screens and receivers making plays on the edge. I think with us being uh, up in your face, man to man defense, a lot of times it takes away your ability to run RPOs and it's going to take away a lot of the easy plays. So I'm not super scared about uh, North Dakota's offense. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point, man. Like you said, uh, this is a team that not necessarily explosive over the top. That's not a disrespect to them, but um, you've seen kind of the, the record and the way that things have shaken, shooken out for them in, in their season this year. Uh, they did have to play number one, South Dakota state lost that game did have to play North Dakota state last weekend in Fargo uh, lost that game. And so when, when it really comes to playing up, uh, they haven't necessarily gotten it done, but they have beat the teams that they should. They ended up escaping with a three-point win out of Flagstaff earlier in the season, just the way we did last weekend. And so there are a number of things to look at and say, okay, similarities, right? But like you said, in terms of how Tommy Schuster gets his production, a lot of yak. And so that means that we've seen the DBs come in and absolutely crash that line, right? When when they're going to throw those screens or try and go for that RPO. And so there's not a lot of opportunity to kind of for them to get more of that yak yards after catch and just shut them down when the ball hits their hands or try and get those PBUs. Emily, how do you see it? I mean, what's the, what's the trick to getting Tommy Schuster uncomfortable because it feels like last week they didn't get a ton of pressure on RJ Martinez. And I'm wondering if there's an opportunity against Tommy Schuster. I definitely think there's an opportunity. I mean, not, I mean, obviously Anybody and everybody knows our defense can carry us pretty far and the growth of our, the growth and strength of our offense has really helped us. But I, I feel good about our defense and um, I just think if they can focus on that, it's going to be a, like, like you guys said, it will be a long day for North Dakota. But I think what I'm most excited about is a lot like the big sky they're coming from a pretty loaded conference. And I just think it's going to be a relatively even matchup in regards to um like hard games like they both faced hard teams like yep. top of the standings and i think that's what i'm most excited about but i really think our defense can carry us and i'm excited for it yeah tom tom what's your take on tommy schuster i mean what's what's the secret here to kind of making sure that he doesn't have a day and get going the way we've seen others because right now i mean as it sits he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks he is the most accurate quarterback in the in the missouri valley football conference with the 70.8 completion percentage well, i think what we want to do is we want to stop the run stop that first down run so now we force him to have to throw the football. 
I mean, I don't want to be in a situation where it's second and five and he has the whole playbook to use. Right. So I really want us to stop that first down run, get it to second and 10 and then limit his options of, of what he's doing. And, and I, I want to throw a question to JD and Jadian that um, when you watch him play, it seems like he makes one read, and if that read isn't there, he's done. Like he's and he's got that 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 touchdown ratio, sixteen touchdowns, one five interception, and that's a great stat. But sometimes you look at a quarterback and go, "Well, that's a great stat," but you know maybe he's not making it enough throws either. And I guess there's that balancing act of being a quarterback between being too cautious. But then there's the other part of it being too reckless. And I think as I watched him play, he just seems like he's too cautious. Like he he comes off of that first read and then it's scramble and then it's just he throws it into the bleachers. So I don't know if you saw that and what's your kind of your thoughts on is he too cautious? And that's that's why stats are the way they are or just kind of what you thought about that. Yeah. I mean, from watching the film, I definitely uh, saw some similar things that you mentioned there. I think there's two main ways that a quarterback can read a defense, pure progression where he's, you know, going from one route to the second route to the third route to the fourth route or, you know, r- reading key defenders. So maybe high, low in the flat defender or uh, making the free safety wrong with two seams, something like that. So to me, the way that North Dakota plays football on offense is they want to establish the run. They are a hard-nosed run football team. And then they like to spread you out and try to find that key defender and put him in a bind. And so when he doesn't get an easy read and an easy option to get a quick pass, then he kind of doesn't know what to do. As you said, he, he, he can get flustered and he can make some ill-advised throws or, or just bad throws. So some of those accuracy numbers that uh, Colby mentioned with this high completion percentage, I think are a little bit some cheap completions. So you're not going to get that versus our defense. We're primarily a one high defensive scheme, which gives us a plus one advantage in the run game. But also we have the DBs that can match up with you and take away the quick throws. So he hasn't seen a defense that can bring to the table what we're going to bring. And that's why I like our matchup versus this guy. And we, we can, we, we might force him into making a few bad interceptions this week. But, but when you talk about, when you talk about plus one, um, you know, they bring in that running quarterback too. He was a mm-hmm. big kid. He's like two forty-five. I know I saw him come in, in the red zone and short yardage. So now, so now the, now they're going to have a little bit of advantage if they decide to bring him and make him more part of the, of their offense, as far as running the football. Yeah, definitely. And and the way that you counter a defense like Weber States is twofold. You have to get the quarterback involved in the, in the QB design run game. And then since we do play a lot of man-to-man defense, that means our DBs as the play develops are watching the, the receiver and not the quarterback like they would in zone. So the ability for the quarterback to scramble is much greater. That's why we've struggled at times this year with scrambling quarterbacks because we got our DBs playing a lot of man and staring at receivers and they have no awareness when the quarterback takes off. So we got to be really careful of that. Yeah, we got you, sorry, do you think Jay Hill is planning on and our defense is just saying knock out the run and make this a one-dimensional one offense of throwing the football and that would be totally playing to our hands? 
Heck yeah, man. I think that's the best way to play football. If you can stop the run and make somebody one dimensional, it's hard. Trust me. It's me playing quarterback back in there. When you got no run game, it's, it's hard on you. Yeah. And, and, I, and you make a good point too, Jadron, where you're saying the way that the defense is built, uh, it's man coverage on the outside. And so because of that, the quarter, the the secondary is focused on the player that they're next to, or that is maybe slightly in front of them with their back to the quarterback. Mitch Dulane brought that up last week in our game day show where he said that they like to play that way, but it also creates problems when the quarterback runs because there's not that contain. And if he gets through the second level, the third level is occupied with keeping things um, in check among those, those receivers who are out in the field. And so there are opportunities if they can get through that second level. So it's imperative that the backers do their best to keep things in front of them. Cause if they don't, you get the Tommy Malott situations, right? Yeah, definitely. It's a high risk, high reward defense. Um, when it's, when it's going well and, and we can suffocate teams, they look bad when you got Tommy Malata running around, you're like, what the heck are we doing? So as long as we can contain them in, within the pocket, we're going to be fine. Um, I want to talk a little bit more. You know, we, we talked about making them one dimensional and the other piece to this is, is trying to do our best with senior running back Tyler Hoosman. Now he is a transfer. This is his fifth year. Uh, it'll be his last. He's fourth in the conference right now in the Missouri Valley football conference in yards. He's got a 885 second in touchdowns with 12. He's averaging about eight, averaging about 80 yards a game. I, I look at him and I don't see anything that's different than some of the, the running backs that the Wildcats have already faced. A running back like Cameron Scadabo, who this week won Offensive Player of the Year in the Big Sky Conference. I think a lot of people expected that. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. The Wildcats, I felt, did a fantastic job when they played Sac State in containing Scadabo and making sure that he didn't necessarily have a day. Is there anything about Tyler Hoosman that makes you nervous? Is there anything unique? We've seen in Alonzo Gilliam. We've seen in Cameron Scadabo this year. Um, I, I don't look at him and go like, wow, this guy is better than them. So Emily, how are you feeling about a player like this? Who is, uh, this is it for him. And he has been effective in a tough conference, but is it anything unique that the Wildcats haven't seen already this season? Um, honestly, no, I'm kind of going to go back to, uh, North Dakota having a situation like Weber state where we're in a really good conference. And I mean, we've had all season. We've, like you said, we've gone against Gilliam. We've gone against Scadabo. We've gone against other great running backs. I, I mean, he's obviously want He's going to want to go out there and play his best game. This is all online. It's like winner go home. So I think he's definitely going to try and give us his best game, but I don't think it's anything to be concerned over. Like we've seen, we've seen our, some of our toughest battles with this and I don't think it's going to be anything too different. Like he's not anything more special. Yeah. I mean, we've seen some of the best in the country. I mean, we've talked about yeah. some of the best in our conference, but we've seen some of those are some of the best in the country. So I don't know, Tom, what's your take here? Do you feel that Hoosman is anything different than what the Wildcats have already seen with some of the top running backs in the big sky conference? Well, I'm really disappointed in you because you didn't tie the running back in with the offensive line. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But I tell you what, I watched his last. I watched their last game against the Bison's, and Bison's are pretty good. 
Sure. Pretty good, pretty pretty good team. And um, I watched that them gash the Bisons pretty good. And the only reason they couldn't continue on that track is they were down 14. You know, they gave up two two quick touchdowns. So now they're they're down 14. And so they're they're stubborn and they're saying, hey, we're gonna keep running the ball. We're gonna keep running the ball. And that's what they did, but they could never overcome that deficit. So I think I think they're a pretty efficient group of running the football from from the running back. I think he's got some great explosion. I mean, when he gets into that second level, he can run away from some people. And I think their offensive line did a nice job versus the Bisons as far as picking up movement and giving him a crease and allowing him to get up in the line of scrimmage before he made his cuts. You know, the worst thing that's the worst thing for a running back is when he gets that ball he's got to make a cut right now because there's a D line right there, right? D lineman right there. So what their offensive line does is they get some knockoff. He gets up in the line of scrimmage and he can do some pretty good work. So he's an explosive kid. And I think it kind of goes back. What we talked about in the last segment is we got to stop that run. So the, the, the ball is always in this, the quarterback's hands. He's got to make tougher decisions, but they're, they're efficient running the football. Um, so we need our D line to play like they're capable of playing and knocking out that run. But he, he is a talented kid. Yeah. Jadrin, you talked just a moment ago about the difficulty of when, when a team becomes one dimensional. And so the, the, the challenge that then puts on the offense to try and make things work. I think we saw that in 2018 when the Wildcats played Maine had a tough day throwing the ball. And so they had to try and run the ball didn't have great success running the ball and just ran out of time, weren't able to score the points. In this case, we've talked a lot about, uh, about, about Schuster and about, you know, his ability to throw the ball and be fairly accurate, but we've talked about some of the wrinkles and what has made him accurate beyond just the face value of here's his completion percentage. Here are his stats in terms of yardage with, with Hoosman now, is is this a, a player that you think is somebody that the Wildcats can largely contain and keep to say less than sixty yards in a game and really force Schuster to do something through the through the air? I, I definitely think it's possible. Our coaches spoke on something which is efficiency, and that's so critical in the run game. Being able to get. Uh, four or five yards on first down allows an offense to keep the whole playbook open. If we can eliminate those first down runs and get them to second and long and force them into the pass game, we should be able to shut their whole uh, offensive scheme down. Um, I think Montana state, what they did so well to be able to run the ball versus us is they had a whole lot of window dressing and they had a lot of horizontal shifts and motions going on before the play. I don't think our defense is a defense that you can just line up and just run right at and expect to have great success. So um, I, I, maybe North Dakota has some wrinkles in this week, but the the run game that I saw on tape um, was solid. Obviously they're, they're hard nosed gritty football team and they've got a good O line and, and a solid running back, but it was nothing that blew me away scheme wise. So I think we should be in good shape to, to possibly make them one dimensional. We'll have to see if our all conference guys can play like all conference guys, like they, they have been and guys like Winston Reed to be able to shut, shut stuff down in the middle. And uh, I, I think we will though. So I feel very confident about our, our, our chances going in up against the run game this week. Yeah. Another thing you talked about there uh, that we should mention 
the Fighting Hawks are a very disciplined team. They're very, um, if, you, if you folks remember the game day show when we talked about UC Davis um, a few weeks ago, about a month and a half ago, we talked about how Dan Hawkins had them set up. They were a very disciplined team. They did not commit a lot of penalties. North Dakota is very much the same way. I think they're number two in the country right now. I think that's what Brett Hine reported in his piece yesterday, talking about North Dakota giving, wow. giving Wildcat fans a taste of who the Fighting Hawks are since the Wildcats haven't seen them for a bit. And so uh, a fairly a fairly disciplined team, sorry, third best nationally when it comes to committing fewest penalties. So very disciplined team in that way. And so I think it uh, is also another thing to think about when they're playing on the road, because if a lot of people show up today and create the noise, you can try and get that. But at the same time, it's like, listen, they've played in Fargo. I think that they played in Brookings. I'll have to double check that right now. But um, it's it's not something that's completely foreign to them. And so, uh, no, they played and they played in Grand Forks in that game against against South Dakota State. But another wrinkle there too, where it's like they're going to try and do things and, like you said, Jadrian, get them off schedule, make it so that they don't get chunk yardage on first and ten. And that puts them behind schedule because then it forces them into second and 10. And if they only get three yards there, now it's third and seven and you got to get something done. You try and get cute. Maybe you try and run the ball on third and seven and you hope for the best. But if you don't, then you're trying to throw the ball. And that's exactly where I think the Wildcats are probably going to want them. Yeah, definitely. So, and, and sort of to, to piggyback off what you, you guys are both saying there, it's, it's also the game flow thing. So if, if they're leading the game, they're able to lean more on the running game. If they're playing from behind, it forces them to be more pass happy. So the, how we start the game and establishing the lead early can, can also influence some of those run pass tendencies. Yeah. Let's talk defensively. Now let's talk a little bit about the defensive side of the ball, North Dakota, uh, like we said, a tough team, no slouch. They are definitely, they're in the number 20 team in the country for a reason. Uh, they don't suck folks. They are good and they play in a tough conference and they've got some quality wins under their own belts. Uh, defensively, the the name that stood out to me was junior defensive lineman, Ben McNabo. He is a threat to watch for. Um, he's tied for second in the Missouri Valley football conference in TFLs. He's got 13. He's fourth in sacks. He's got six solo, one assisted. And um, like you said earlier, Tom, the offensive line has gotten better as the season has gone on as a unit. They've done a pretty good job of just keeping the keeping Bronson Barron upright. And so McNabo presents probably their toughest challenge of the day in containing him and making sure that he has as little effect on the offense as possible. Do you think that what, well, I guess the question to you, Tom, is this, what is the thing that they need to do to make sure that McNambo doesn't have a day now that the playoff lights are on and it's go time? Well, I think you got to look at his stats and I don't want to take anything away from him, but you have to look at their scheme, right? And so the way that they play, to me, when I watch them play defense, uh, their, their front, you know, their D-line and linebackers, I look at a team that says, I don't think we're physically good enough to stay in a base 4-3 defense and take on blocks and win one-on-one -on -one battles. So 
So what they've done with their scheme is they play an odd front sometimes and they play an even front. So an odd front, meaning they'll have a nose guard, three down linemen, and then then they'll have their stand-up linebackers or they'll play with four D linemen. But my point being is a lot of those tackles for losses are because they're they're always moving their lead line, they're always slanting, they're always twisting and looping and doing all those things. So it's not an idea of their D line is physically beating someone one-on one it's because of the scheme because they're hitting gaps and things i don't think i don't think they do a great job um as far as hitting those gaps and staying nice and square they get their shoulders turned a lot and that's why they gave up x amount of yards against the bisons the week before right last week um so my my thought is is that of all the units that we've talked about our d line Everybody, you know, special teams and all those those units that we've talked about, the biggest unit that has to play the biggest game is our offensive line. If they can hit the movement that that Dakota's going to have, and if they can hit that movement, there's going to be some huge holes in there, and we're going to run we're going to run for over 300 yards. If they can't hit the movement, and that D line is penetrating. And they're they're getting the hand they're almost getting the handoff before the running back is then it's going to be a tough day for Weber State. So this is a huge huge game for our O line. I mean they got to get us to second and five. They have to have a great game. They got to play as well as they did against the University of Montana because they had some big plays against Montana because Montana tried that a couple times and we gashed them pretty good and we had some huge runs. So. Uh, my point being is our old line has to come up big this week. They really, really get, they really do because I don't want to be sitting in second and 15 and having to start to chuck the ball over the, all over the place. Right. So this is a big game for our old line. Yeah. I mean, that's fair points. Right. And uh, that Montana game, I think the thing I was most surprised about when we talked about it the week after was that Montana coming in that week with the number one run defense, a team that likes to bring the house. They like to blitz often uh, Patrick O'Connell is there and he's a Buck Buchanan award finalist. You know, he's out there as one of the best D linemen in the country. And they did a fairly good job that day of containing a player of his caliber. And so looking now, it's like you said, they like to mix things up. They like to say, we're going to go three. We're going to go four. We're going to just try and get some angles on, on the line and just see, and just prod and see where we can get penetration to blow up the offense in the back, in the backfield. So Emily, with those comparisons, I mean, how are you feeling about this? Because right now, I mean, in terms of sacks, North Dakota, they are seventh in the Missouri Valley Football Conference with 19 total. Um, It's a conference that recruits heavily out of the Midwest, especially for offensive linemen. So how much of that do you think is there maybe the matchups? Because we know that teams like North Dakota State and South Dakota State have, I mean, massive guys who are probably NFL caliber often. Those are the guys that they're lining up against. And um, it doesn't seem like they're having a ton of success in terms of getting to the quarterback at being the seventh in the conference, but it's the big sky conference they're facing now. And big sky conference doesn't necessarily recruit in Iowa and Nebraska and, and Gaza, 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 you know, what do they, what, what's that term? They're like corn fed. Like they're just, 
big guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, big farm her? guys who come out and yeah, like, they're, they're <laughs> tough to move, right? That's the kind of conference they play in. So, but they're, they're seventh in that conference. How much of that do you think is matchup or how much of that do you think is more like what Tom was talking about, where it's just scheme and they try things because maybe they feel they don't have the personnel to do the thing that they actually want to do in a one-on-one situations. I mean, for like, for is your question in regards to like our offensive lines performance against this? Um, yeah. How do you think they deal with that? If you, if you feel that the numbers that we have in front of us are reflective of them not having that same size and push, or it's just a matter of, Hey, listen, that's just who they are. And it doesn't matter who they're playing against when it comes to playing the top teams in the country, like a Weber state at nine. Yeah. They have better offensive lines that get them there. And so they struggle in those situations. Yeah. I mean, for us, we're just going to have to disregarding the team. Like we're the, I, it's all a mentality. I feel like for who we go against or who goes against us, like, your team's not going to change. So you're going to have to do what you can. I think for Weber state, like Tom said, like for a unit to have a, have a day, it's going to have to be our offensive line. Um, I think the best thing we can do in the situation we're in is honestly clean up our penalties. Yeah. I feel like that's our biggest problem, especially I feel like I might be calling them out, but like, I feel like false starts are just, the worst thing that happens and they happen way too often. But um, for me, I think we're just going to have to deal with the cards we're dealt and go from there. And I think we're fully capable, but they're just going to have to clean up their play and read it when it happens. Yeah. Jadrian, I was going to ask you in this situation where we know that there's a guy out there that like Tom said, they're, they're doing things to try and figure out ways to get into the backfield. And we've, We've seen Bronson scramble a bit this season. It's not like he's Tommy Malott out there, but he does have the ability to run and he's done a pretty good job of protecting himself when he is out there so that he's not getting hurt. He's sliding. He's not trying to take contact. How important do you think that's going to be, not just in this game, but should the Wildcats continue on in the playoffs? Bronson has to up his ability to scramble as we face tougher and tougher defenses should they make their way deeper and deeper into the playoffs. Well, I hate to just agree with all three of you guys all the time, but you guys are making great points and great takes. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's going to have to scramble at certain points uh, in this game. Tom mentioned, uh, I thought he nailed it on the head perfectly by saying that uh, Coach Swigert's defense is all about confusing you with scheme and uh, being a primary three, four defense and, you know, bringing two inside backers, bringing both outside backers, bringing one inside and then one outside showing you all these different crazy stuff, looping, twisting. And that can be a lot, man. Um, I, my first win in college and coach Hill's first winning in his career was against North Dakota versus these guys. And it was a lot when I was a young quarterback, I know Bronson's a little bit, has had some playing experience, but this might be his first time seeing a defense that's going to be this exotic and show this many different things. It's really important that the O-line and himself before they, they snap the ball have diagnosed what the defense is about to do, or at least what they think they're going to do and have a good plan schematically. It's not that they have to 
this is a crazy matchup in the terms of we're going up against some physical freak that's a Jadavion Clowney, but what we're going to have to do is have the mental ball game and have the O-line sliding the right way and knowing how we're going to work. Are we borrowing the backside guard to get to a four-man pass rush off a side or whatever it may be? I don't know if Bronson's making those O-line checks at the line. I don't know if the center's making it, but they better have a good plan. And if they do, uh, don't hold, don't commit any penalties, as Emily said. And then Bronson, you're going to have to make some plays. You're going to have to sit in there, maybe take a hit and and exploit that that coverage because they're they're willing to play cover zero and rush six or seven defenders and and say, hey, look, I don't think you have good enough receivers to beat us. Yeah, we dare you. That's in his that's in his blood. He does that all the time. So I really expect them to do it now. So he's either going to have to scramble or he's going to have to sit in there and deliver, and our receiver is going to have to make a play and make a, make them regret blitzing us so much. And until you can make them pay for blitzing, they're going to keep blitzing us all day long. Yeah. The one um, thing too, is the one thing you can do too to help out and, and it'd be interesting to see if we see a lot of this is get into too tight. So if you get into too tight, that balances up your formation, which forces the defense to somewhat balance up. So you have a better understanding where everything's coming from. But the one thing that I'm kind of excited to see, see is how much patience we have with the run game. Because if you go back to that Montana game, we stuck with that run game. And I'll tell you what, in the first quarter, we were probably averaging about two yards. But come that third, like like the end of the third to the front, to the beginning of the fourth, all of a sudden it's like four yards a crack, five yards a crack. And then by the end of the game, there was about four or five minutes left and we were almost getting a first down every time we ran the ball. So you gotta be, it's going to be interesting to see if coach Mantle has the patience and if the, if the score of the game allows them to have the patience to stick with that run game and just physically pound these guys. So now those runs become easier and you're getting more gains, but you can't have a great running game after, you know, running it three times and go, oh, this isn't working, man. You got to be patient and you got to pound on those guys. And the biggest thing is Bronson, when we have a chance to make it, take a shot off a of play action, we got to make it because that's what happened in Montana game, right? We ran mm-hmm. a little fake bubble screen and then we dropped it and then Mantle came back and ran the, basically the same thing about six plays later and it was a touchdown. So I'm just kind of interested in to see the patience of this game in the play calling, you know, and it's, it's easy. It's, it's a lot easier to be patient when you got a good defense behind you <laughs> Yeah, and the I mean, score is, you know, you're always, even with the score, you're only down by one score. Right. So it's going to be interesting how that's, I'm going to watch that and see how that plays out. Yeah. And it's a good point, right? Because uh, in that, in that first half, really the only major play against Montana on the ground that happened was that Demond Bankston run up the gut where he just got through the second level and they weren't ready. And he's fast enough that he just, you know, once he's in that second level, like he's gone because you know, they're not going to be able to keep up with him. And like you said, as the game wore on, we see Dante McMillan taking it, you know, off the edge and he's getting six, seven yards. And before you know it, the Wildcats are just racking up yards on the ground against the best run defense in the conference and one of the best run defenses in the country. And so it's just stunning. And so I think that you're right, Tom, that coach mental has the kind of patience he understands and he's able to break down some of those strengths sometimes. So that's my question to everybody here is the Bison ran for 373 yards on the Hawks last weekend. 
That's a lot on the ground. Can the Wildcats get something close to that? Because I think even if they go for 250, that's just an absolutely massive day. That's like, it's not quite Montana State level day on the ground because that's just been insane up in Bozeman, but it's a lot, right? And so I wonder, even though the, the backs seem to be a little bit banged up, is there an opportunity to exploit that same weakness the way the Bison did last week? Emily, what do you think? It's going to go back to how healthy are our running backs going to be. I mean, against NAU, I think Chris Jackson hobbled off the field after every play, and that's yeah. big for us. I mean, Demon Bank or not Demon Dante McMillan's been pretty consistent for us. I I believe Demon's healthy. I didn't hear anything after NAU. Josh Davis um, is in a situation a lot like other, you know, seniors like all or nothing at this point. So I think he could definitely have a day if his, is it ankle permits? I yeah. think. Yeah. I think Cause they're always it, taping it up, man. All the time. Always, like after every play, it seems like, but yeah. I think with who we have, it's completely capable to be done. Like, I think we're fully capable of doing it. I said this earlier in the show, but like at least two or three healthy running backs can make our offense accomplished a lot. Yeah. Jadrian, how do you see that, man? Is it, is the run game, do you feel that's the key to really unlocking the, the schemes that you talked about earlier, where if they're getting a lot of production on the ground, it really kind of puts the Hawks into panic mode because there is that production and the Wildcats are staying on schedule and it makes the pass game a luxury instead of a necessity. Yeah, 373 yards is a crazy stat line. I'm still in shock at that one. Um, yeah, if we can come anywhere close to that, then we're going to easily win. So I, I think the run game is huge for us. Tom made it an, another great point that I agree with. We've got two really solid tight ends. Um, and when you can use those tight ends in the run game, um, it's going to allow us to hopefully open up some really big holes and then, and then develop some play action passes off of it, RPOs off of it. So I think it is the key to getting our, our whole offense going. I don't think we're an offense that can go out there and just throw, throw, throw to open up the run. I think we have to establish the run for everything else to work with, with who we are and, and what coach mental brings to the table and our personnel. So yeah, we got to run the ball. If we can run for 200, I think we'll win. 373 is a crazy stat one. Yeah, my bad. I actually just pulled it up because I was like, is that right? Yeah, 363. My bad. 363 okay. net, 375, um, you know, gross, but then 12 yards lost. So 363 total. So my bad there, but still yeah. a pretty big number on the ground. Yeah. Tom, I'll give you the last word here, man. Um, Running, running the ball. You think the Wildcats can get it established based on what you saw against the Bison or what the Bison were able to do against the Fighting Hawks last week in Fargo? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, if I, we go back to the first week or two and I talked about, or we talked about how, you know, the, the mark of a good offensive line is everybody knows that you're on the three yard line going in and we're going to run the ball and you just jam it up in there and be honest with you, that didn't happen the first two or three weeks of the season, right? We got knocked back a few times. We didn't convert on fourth downs, but I'll tell you what, these last five or six games, our old line has played really well. 
And I honestly believe, you know, Coach Myers is a great coach. He's got a ton of experience. He's going to have, they're going to come up with a great plan uh, to take care of all that movement up front. And and like I said, I think our O-line has played, gotten better every week. And I think they're playing at a high level. And I think, I think they're going to be able to get it done. All right. That's the final word. The secret there, the O-line, they can play well. Wildcat offense has a chance. So we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. Wildcats will kick off at 2 p.m. today. So if it's a 2 p.m. kickoff, that means get up there by at least noon, get the get the grill out. Let's get tailgating because one way or another, this is probably going to be the last home game of the of the season um, unless something crazy happens and the Wildcats win. Somebody gets upset later in the playoffs. The Wildcats are a higher seeded team. That team would come to them. Uh, it would depend on a lot of moving parts, but Take a, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, they say. And so this is it. So get up there, get tailgating and um, enjoy this one, folks, because uh, it's been a good season. It's been a good bounce back year after what we got in 2021 with the uh, many injuries from the spring season. So take it in. Now we're going to take uh, I was I was trying to think of a name as we transition now into our pick em section. I was like, man, fly around the sky is what it was in the regular season. Now that we're in the playoffs, what are we going to call it? Let's call it playoff pick em. So we're going to move into playoff pick them, folks. So we got a lot of first round matchups across the country this week. We're not just going to keep ourselves contained to the, the big sky conference matchups that are because there are a few. But uh, we thought, hey, you know, let's give our give our panel an opportunity to pick all of the matchups. So let's do it. Let's look at what we have on the slate today. First off, we're going to go Idaho at South, uh, Southeastern Louisiana. Uh, SLU. High flying offense. That's what they do down there. But uh, Idaho getting into the playoffs in their first season with new head coach Jason Eck. Um, you asked earlier, Tom, about regionality and whether that's a factor. It is. It wasn't a factor in this one, though, because Idaho is flying from Moscow all the way down to uh, just outside <laughs> of outside of uh, New Orleans there. And they're going to be in southeastern Louisiana. Um, how do you feel about this, man? Who are you going to take? You taking Idaho or are you taking the Lions? I'm going to take Idaho. Okay. Um, I'm going to say they're going to travel across the country and I'm going to say they're going to win. I just seen uh, them play, play enough during the season. I think they're a really good football team, physical team, play well on defense, went into Montana and won. So I I think, uh, and I think they'll be excited to play because they're playing with house money. You know, they, they they had no expectations to be where they're at. And I bet they're just excited and they're just gonna, Hey, we're just going to let it fly, man. This is just going to be a fun trip and playing loose and got nothing to lose. So I I think they're going to come out with the win. All right. Jadrian, how are you feeling about this one? Are you taking the Vandals or are you going to take the Lions? Is that where Bobby Boucher played at, man? I, I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, I wish I forgot um, the name of that school. Yeah. Go Mud Dogs anyway. Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think Idaho is an underrated football team too. Uh, the few games I've seen of them this year, they, they, they impressed me. They haven't won as many games as they probably should have. So without knowing a ton about uh, Southeastern Louisiana, I, I, I'm going to go with Idaho. All right. Emily? Vandals don't, or Lions? Don't quote me on this, but I think the Lions have not had any great playoff runs the last like two years, I think. Yeah. I mean. So I'm curious to see if that will change. I'm going to go with the Vandals, um, mainly because if you look at who Jason, where Jason Eck is coming from and his experience, like 
and they play well on the road, like Tom said, against Montana. I think they're fully capable, and I, I got to go with Vandals on this one. Mm. You know, guys, I'm going to break with you here, and I'm going to take the Lions, and here's why. Idaho has not looked as good in recent weeks. The Davis game, um, they, they just they just had some some tough games. And of course, you know, losing to Sac State the way they did, they were ahead. But then Sac State comes back and wins that game. It was on the road. Um, so I, I just I wonder if their their confidence has been shaken a little bit. Now they did, you know, the annual drubbing of Idaho State. They lost that game last year, but they won it this year. And so they get to. Uh, the Battle of the Domes resides with them. They need to recreate King Spud, man. I don't know if you guys have seen that trophy, but it's one of the best rivalry trophies in the country. Go look it up. King Spud is awesome. But I'm taking SLU because I think that that high-flying offense in their home stadium might just have enough to upset the Vandals. Or maybe not, because like you said, Tom, house money. Hey, if the Vandals lose, whatever. They weren't supposed to be here anyway, and so it's all gravy at this point. Next I match. people... Uh, touching on that, I remember when Jason Egg became head coach, there was a interview released of him where um, he has expected his team to make it this far all along. And I think all they really need to do is travel down there and do it for themselves. So I, I appreciate your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and coach Eck, you know, he's been great. Um, he's a great, he's a great follow on social media. If you don't, if you aren't following him, he's, he's a good time. Well, let's talk a little bit about SEMO, familiar foe. Uh, recently saw SEMO in 2018, I believe it was, in the second round. And uh, they're going to take the trip to Missoula. This game is going to be on ESPN2. Yeah, <laughs> that's a thing. But uh, so the Montana the Montana Grizzlies were the last team in. And so they'll face SEMO, uh, Southeastern Missouri, uh, the Red Hawks. Tom, how do you feel about this one? SEMO or uh, a banged up Montana team? I'm going to go, I'm going to go with SEMO. Okay. Going for some, uh, it's not necessarily an upset because SEMO, you know, is technically the higher seeded team, but um, it is at Wash Grizz and um, JJ, and I'm sure you can attest. That's a thing. It's tough. Yeah. Montana, just because of the atmosphere, it's, it's too much. If you've never been in an atmosphere like that. It's a lot. Emily, how are you feeling? Um, I want to go SEMO because I love to watch Montana, University of Montana fans lose. <laughs> at watch I've watched that Idaho game like three times. So it's like my nice. favorite thing. Ever, so I'll watch it again. That was a, definitely a disappointing loss for those guys. Um, yeah, this is tough because I mean, Montana just got absolutely destroyed last weekend in Bozeman might've, you know, hit their pride a little bit. I think Lucas Johnson might, he didn't perform as well. And that was the thing that when we talked about him and we picked the Grizz to win that game last week, obviously they didn't. We talked about how Lucas Johnson was going to be the X factor there, but then Montana state rolled out a Tommy Malott and Sean Chambers at the same time, which is a whole other thing. So I wonder how much of that. And a lot of people having the opinion that Montana shouldn't be there. I just wonder how much that affects them mentally. And so part of me wants to pick SEMO as well, even though I really hate them. Uh, I don't like the way that they played us in 2018. I thought they were a dirty team, but in this case, you know, the Grizz, they let me down last time I picked them. So I'm not going to pick them again. (laughs) And that doesn't make me sad. 
So next matchup, guys, um, let's talk about Elon at Furman. Uh, this is an interesting matchup because these are two good teams. Um, Elon coming out of the CAA, Furman coming out of the SOCON. The SOCON had four really good teams. Um, a couple of them didn't get in this season. Well, Chattanooga didn't get in, which is disappointing. I saw that team play live down in Chattanooga this year. They were good, but they had some missteps, including the last weekend of the year. Furman, on the other hand, has really gotten hot as the weeks have gone on. I don't know, Tom, how are you feeling about this one? Elon and the former former Montana State Bobcat, Matt McKay at the helm, or uh, the Furman Paladins? Flip from what I did with Montana, I'm going to go with the home team this time. Going to go with Furman. Okay. Yeah. I don't blame you. Um, I watched the game against Chattanooga, and I'll tell you this, Chattanooga's, Chattanooga's defense was really, really good, and Furman made them look really, really not good. And that's not something that Mercer did when I went down to Chattanooga and saw them play. So uh, Elon's had some missteps. Jadrian, how you feel about this one, man? I agree. I like Furman. Yeah. Emily? Um, I'll be honest. I, (laughs) the closest I get to conferences outside of the Missouri Valley and Big Sky are like what falls into my Twitter feed. Um, From what I remember, I'll just go Elon because I like road teams, except North Dakota. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm with the, I'm with you guys. I like Furman in this one. They've looked really good. They've gotten hot. The SoCon was better this year. Um, And so I don't know. I think I'm going to take Furman. Next up, we've got Fordham at New Hampshire, Fordham in that high flying offense. Um, Tim DeMoret, probably a finalist for the Walter Payton. Probably not going to win it because Lindsey Scott exists, <laughs> but Tom, how are you feeling about this one? Taking Fordham or? Yeah, I'm going to go with Fordham. Okay. Jadrian, what about you? Anytime you got a Walter Payton guy, it's always got a chance, right? Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know too much about either of these teams, but the guy having the uh, Walter Payton hopeful, I'm going to go with Fordham as well. Yeah. I mean, a, a good thing to point out here is that, uh, Holy Cross, the team that I think beat Weber State out for one of the seeds this year, they gave they played Fordham earlier in the season, and that was a double overtime thriller. For uh, Holy Cross wins it on a two point conversion. That's how they win it in double overtime. It was like fifty three to fifty two. They win the game just back and forth all day, just trading punches, and so. If I just don't think New Hampshire, even though they're, I think they're the CAA auto bid or something. Maybe they're not. And I have to double check that, but New Hampshire, uh, they've been good. They beat the teams in front of them, but uh, I, I don't, I don't like them that much. Um, so I think that that fly high flying offense probably wins the day, which sets up a rematch of Holy Cross versus Fordham. One more time in Worcester. Emily Fordham um, or New Hampshire. If Fordham wins, it's a rematch. It is. I do love rematches. Um, They're some of my favorites. So I'll go Fordham. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Tim Demorat. That's, that's, that's must see great. He's a great quarterback. Um, This is a, okay. You guys can decide here. Delaware at St. Francis, you choose. (laughs) I won't say anything. You guys can just choose here. Delaware. Yeah. Adrian, how do you feel about this? I like Delaware as a logo. I'm going to go with Delaware. Yeah. Emily? I'll just say St. Francis to switch it up. 
You're kidding me. <laughs> this is the one not I don't to switch it up. Seriously. Oh, no. Delaware is going to absolutely pummel. Saint I Francis. love a good upset. So. Well, maybe you'll get yours, but I don't think it's going to happen <laughs> on this one. I'll watch. I'll intentionally watch that game. Just I don't so. know if you can because, You're well, not. well, just like some of these conferences aren't on ESPN Plus, and so it really creates a problem. The CAA is one of those. They're on Flow Sports, which is the dumbest thing on the planet. I would watch a lot more CAA football if they would just get on ESPN Plus, but they won't. So I heard that that might change, but this one I don't know because St. Francis is, I think, the NEC champion. And I don't know if NEC is on ESPN Plus, so I don't know where you're going to find this game. But I, got, I think Delaware is going to just. It's fine. Her. I'll still go for St. Francis just because I love an upset. <laughs> okay. No one was St. Francis. She's going to prove us wrong. Uh, next up, Eastern Kentucky at Gardner Webb. Uh, how do you guys feel about this one? Eastern Kentucky looked really, really Good in a few games this season. Gardner Webb looked really, really bad against Jackson State, but that was Jackson State. Everybody's looked bad against Jackson State except for Tennessee State somehow. I don't know how that worked out because Tennessee State's looked really bad lately. Um, I don't know. How are you guys taking here? Eastern Kentucky. I'm going to go with Eastern Kentucky. Uh, EKU? JJ, yeah. how do you feel? Yep, Eastern Kentucky as well. Yep. I'm taking EKU. Emily? Mm, I'll fine. I'll do EKU this time. <laughs> don't mean to shame you. Uh, Gardner Webb does have a good offense, but uh, I don't know. EKU's had some some really good wins this season. Um, we'll see how it shakes out. Finally, uh, the last one here before we get to our own matchup: Richmond at Davidson. Um, Richmond, not the CAA champion. Davidson, the Patriot League champion, which is a non scholarship league. Uh, who you got, Tom? The spiders, right? Richmond spiders. It is the spiders. Yep. Got to go with the spiders. All right. Jadrian, how you feel about this one? I wish you would ask me first. So it doesn't sound like I'm just copying Tom every time, but I'll take Richmond. <laughs> don't feel bad because I'm taking Richmond as well. I just don't have faith in Davidson. <laughs> Richmond has actually been really, really good. Um, yeah. Uh, it's not a bad pick. Area football down in Virginia, right? Uh, yeah. They're, they're in, um, yeah, they're in Richmond. They've got a massive endowment. Like yeah. Richmond, Richmond has been good this year. Um, Emily? I'll do Davidson. <laughs> oh, Seth Curry. Or, I mean, Steph Curry is uh, proud of you. His alma mater. What can I say? Just going Davidson. <laughs> I mean, can you do that as a Lakers fan? Can you do that? Is that allowed? Yeah, I'll do it. I'll let it slide this one time. <laughs> Just this once. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, then final one, guys. North Dakota comes to Ogden to take on Weber State in the first round of the playoffs. How do you feel about this one, Tom? Well, I'm going with Weber State, but it's going to be it is going to be one heck of a football game. It really is. North Dakota is they are tough kids, and they are going to come in here and they are going to compete, and it's going to be a fun game to watch. But you know, I think it's going to be a special team score, you know, a three point difference, and I think it's going to come down to the fourth quarter. Um, but I think it's going to be one heck of a, a competitive game. Jadrian, how do you feel about this one, man? Well, I first want to say thank you to Weaver State Weekly for producing such amazing content. I've been an alumni. I've definitely followed the Wildcats uh, since I've been out, but your guys' podcast has brought me even closer to the team, and it, it's been amazing listening to you guys. Um, and with that thank said, you. I think that this this is going to be our game that's going to force our receivers to make those plays and start our way to maybe making a national championship run. 
we have what it takes with this defense, this quarterback, this O-line, this coaching staff to, to pull it off this year if our receivers can step up. And this game is going to force them to do it. It's going to be tight early. We're going to pull away. We're going to win big. And we're going to start a big, possibly championship run this week. Okay. Jadrian taking the home team, taking the alma mater, going with the Wildcats. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Emily, what about you? I'm going to try and do some mental math really quick. Um, I think the two teams we've lost against, it's been eight points in total. That's right. Five points points Um, for Montana State, three points against Sac State. And it's all been to our own error. So I feel really good. And I think this is going to be a good run. Um, I think North Dakota is going to give it their all. But I I really do think Weber State's going to come out on top. Okay. They're ready. It's like a, they have like a bitter taste in their mouth between the fall season last year and then the upsetting end to the spring season. So I think there's few teams more ready than Weber State right now. Okay. I'm also going to pick the alma mater, taking Weber State Wildcats. I think that the snub of not getting a seed is going to be a factor in this one. I really think that that's going to fuel them to prove. Jay Hill teams are always better when they've got that chip on their shoulder, when they feel like they're being disrespected. I think the situation's no different. So I'm taking the Wildcats to beat the Fighting Hawks one more time. Um, I should point out, Brett Hein reported this uh, just yesterday. Uh, Sagarin has this one ending up uh, uh, with Weber State by 9.5 points. Uh, he talked about Billy Connolly. He's got a college football um, you know, prediction on ESPN+. Plus. He's saying 35-23. D-Ratings has Weber State with a win at 34-20, 84.5% probability. So a lot of folks like the Wildcats in this one. Uh, the numbers show it, but they got to show up and do the thing. So, of course, it's week by week, folks. So the only game on the slate is this one. Number 20, North Dakota, 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Get your tickets, WeberStateSports.com, or listen to it on 1031 The Wave. Or if you're like me and you're out of market, you're watching on ESPN Plus. Same for you, Jadrian, watching it on ESPN Plus. So unless you you in Ogden today, man, or watching on ESPN Plus. I'm, I'm in Tennessee right now, visiting with my family. So uh, I wish I could be there in person, but Thanksgiving time, got to be with the family. Uh, fair enough. If you're in Nashville, come over to my house. We'll watch it. Um, all right. And we'll wrap up the show. Like we always do. Weber state weekly, gmail.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon. I want to thank our patrons. And then Weber state weekly.com. Want to thank you to our illustrious panel for former Weber state quarterback, Jadrian Clark, former wildcat coach, Tom Stackeruck, and the signposts own sports editor, Emily Miller for talking with us this season. Really appreciate all of you guys for making this uh, podcast possible. We'll wrap it up. Like we always do. Weber state, Weber state. Right. Great. Great. (laughs) Go Wildcats.